So we've been talking about temples here. And uh, if you've probably noticed, we've talked a lot about the actual temple, you know, the physical temple, the tabernacle that was built. But as I've kind of referenced and alluded to, things are much different now in the New Testament. Things have changed drastically since Jesus. Jesus changed everything in every single way. And one of the biggest ways is he changed the way that we gathered and worshiped together. And so, as you know, we don't gather in temples anymore. So that has to be addressed. And that's what we're going to talk about today is what it means for us to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But before I get there, I need to share. I'm going I'm to poke fun at myself to begin with here. And maybe you can relate to me, maybe not. But I'm just going to start with myself and I'll let you decide what that path is going to be. But I can say that for a long time, a long time, when I heard that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I assumed that had to mean physical body, which meant that if I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit and I want to care for the temple, then I got to be in shape. I got to work out. Every push-up I do is making me more and more of a better temple for the Holy Spirit. You catch my drift? That's, that's what I thought it meant to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It was about uh, taking care of my diet and, and this and that and relieving stress and I just want to say that that's changed drastically since then. If that was the case, if that was the case, if that's what it meant to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, then why wouldn't we just have workout gyms on Sunday morning? Why wouldn't we just come in and find ellipticals and, and, and Pilates teachers and stuff like that? Wouldn't that be a better way to build the temple of the Holy Spirit if that was the case? I also found a great pastor for us, a great teacher if, if that was the case. Here's a line in one of his uh, workout series videos called Minimum Maintenance for Men. It said, working out, eating smarter, dealing with stress, getting and staying in shape. Again, this is what I thought it meant to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, those famous words are from O.J. Simpson. He had a series, a workout series called Minimum Maintenance for Men. Hey, if that was the deal, if that's what it meant to take care of God's temple, why not just have OJ come in and show us how to do that well, right? Well, hopefully I think you're picking up on it. That's certainly not what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Of course, it's good to care for our bodies. It's good to do that. But there is so, so much more to being the temple of the Holy Spirit than just caring for our physical body, which, yes, is a gift from God. So in order to build that out and dig into that today, I want to start with the story of Israel's exile. As we've mentioned before, Israel had a task of being faithful to God and walking in covenant with God, and they didn't do a very good job of that. And so eventually it led to exactly what God said it would lead to. He said, if you continue to rebel against me, if you continue to disobey, I will kick you out of the land. You will go into exile. And so this, this happened. Uh, Babylon took captivity of Israel. And it was in multiple waves that, Israel, or, uh, that Babylon would take Israel out and, and move them to, to Babylon. And it was a long period of a lot of questions. I'm sure people were asking, is God ever going to accept us again? I mean, exile was not a good thing. Exile was the mark of breaking the covenant. Is God ever going to accept us again? Have we been rejected forever? What does this mean for us? But the good news was, in the midst of this exile, God did not stop speaking. His prophets continued to speak what God was speaking during that time. And it's good that the prophets 
kept speaking because what happened in 586 B.C. was that the actual temple of God was destroyed. The Babylonian forces came in and they destroyed the temple. And if, if you've been with me for the past three weeks, you know that the temple was very significant because it was the housing place of God. So for a temple to be destroyed, any ancient mind would think, well, what does that mean for our God? Is our God still here? Has our God been destroyed as well? And maybe that may have been the thought for some people in Israel as well. But God cleared that up very clearly through his prophets. Because this is what he said. He gave them a message of hope in their time of despair. This was God's answer to all of those questions. And it probably wasn't the answer that they were expecting. Because this is what he said in Jeremiah 31, 33-34. It will be on the screen if you want to follow along. It says this. God said, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. It says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. I love just reading scripture sometimes because I don't even have to preach. The, the word just does it. It just does it itself. But th that's what God, that's the message that God gave them during that time. And the fact that God says, I'm going to establish a new covenant with you. Do not overlook it. That was huge. That was not a small matter. God did not just make covenants flippantly. That's not how he operated. A covenant was a very serious thing. It's the, the basis for relationships. So for God to say, I'm going to make a new covenant with you was a big deal. And it changes everything. To make a new covenant was almost like starting from the ground up all over again. He's like, we're, gonna, we're just going to start over. I'm going to make a new covenant with you guys. We're going to start from the beginning. But look, this covenant was very, very special. Take a look at this. This is what God said to them. He said, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. If we start with that phrase right there, the I will be their God and they will be my people. You need to know that phrase in its entirety shows up around 50 times throughout Scripture, primarily in the Old Testament. And the reason why it comes up over and over and over again is because it's a phrase that's associated with God's covenant relationship with His people. But more than that, not only is it just associated with the covenant, it's also associated with God dwelling among them. If we take a flashback and go back to Moses when he's uh, talking with God about the, the outline of the tabernacle and the covenant, you'll notice over and over again that that phrase pops up because God is signifying the whole purpose of this tabernacle, the whole purpose of me dwelling with you is because I will be your God and you will be my people. So that phrase was associated not just with covenant, but it was associated with God's dwelling among them. Now, any, anybody in Israel would know that. They would have heard that phrase so many times over and over again. They would have known it, it meant, oh, that, because our God's going to dwell with us. So when this same phrase pops up again in the new covenant, they may have been thinking, okay, I heard the phrase. I know there's a covenant, 
But I didn't hear anything about dwelling. Because when you told Moses that, and when you said that to Solomon, you also included instructions on how to build the structure that you are going to dwell in, that God's going to dwell in. And here, it's like getting a box with no instructions in it. They're looking, oh, okay, uh, we, we have the stuff here, but we don't have the instructions on how to put this together. There's something that is missing here. He mentions no location. It gives him no pattern to follow like he did for Moses. So where is this tabernacle supposed to be? Well, we get a hint, again, if we just go back and look at the first tabernacle that Moses built. In that tabernacle, in the most holy place, God told Moses to store the law, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that had been written on tablets by the finger of God. He said, put those in the most holy place, in my dwelling. And then if you look at the New Covenant, what does he say? He says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. So where is this new tabernacle that God is going to dwell in? We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. God is saying in this new covenant, I am moving away from a physical structure and I am now writing my law on your hearts and on your minds. You are going to become my temple. You are where my presence is going to dwell now, to get the full significance of this, I want to give a quick, quick recap of what a temple is. A temple is where a deity would dwell, a divine being would dwell. Israel was not the only nation to have a temple for their God. There was many temples. It's where gods dwell. But one thing about Israel that's important to know, and this is the, this is the main point of all of this, is that for Israel's temple, it was where God dwelled, and it was also the meeting place between heaven and earth. It was the meeting place between heaven and earth. Because if God dwelled in there, then it was a place that was perfectly ordered after God's design and will, just like heaven is. So God is saying, if I'm going to dwell in the tabernacle, if I'm going to dwell in the temple, then it needs to be perfectly ordered just like, what did he tell Moses? Like the pattern you saw on the mountain, just like you saw in heaven, you need to do in that tabernacle because I'm going to dwell there. And I only dwell in places that are perfectly ordered by me. So make it look just like the pattern that you saw. So every time the high priest would go in or the priest would go in, they were entering the intersecting point between heaven and earth. Now, this whole idea of God dwelling, not in a physical structure, but dwelling in a human body, dwelling inside of us, would have probably been a little bit jarring for them because God always dwelled in temples. This is a whole different concept that we have not heard of before. Even Jesus' disciples really struggled with this, even though Jesus referenced it so many times. If you go back and look, especially at the Gospel of John, you'll see that Jesus was referencing temples all throughout the Gospel of John. He says things like this. He says, I will be in you and you will be in me. Doesn't that sound a little bit like I will be your God and you will be my people? And then he also says this, before he dies, he tells his disciples, he says, I will go to the Father and we will make our home among you. 
He's talking about temple theology this whole time, but they weren't able to grasp it, and it's okay. Jesus wasn't upset with them. He said, it's okay. You may not get it right now, but trust me, you will get it someday. And oh, they got it. Because Peter not only grasped it, but look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. He says this, writing to the church later in his life. He says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, or as some translations say, a temple of God, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can I point out something here that is fascinating to me that I always overlooked? This temple is still under construction. Did you catch that? This temple is still under construction. You see, God is not among us right now because we are perfect, because we are complete. He's here to make us complete. In the Old Testament, I've already referenced it, but I want to say it one more time. God would not move into a temple until it was in perfect condition, until it was exactly as he said it needed to be. Both with Moses and with Solomon, they had to have everything in place before they could dedicate the structure, the temple, the tabernacle to God. But when they did that, when they had everything in place, it says that God's glory came and filled that structure. Filled it so much so that the priests couldn't even go near the structure because the glory was so heavy. But the main thing there is God said, I will not dwell there until every single thing is exactly in place. But look, in this new temple, God is not following the same pattern. He dwells in the midst of a temple that is still being built. It is far from perfect. You know, sometimes... It's a little bit drafty inside. You know, you got to put the plastic on, on the way. It's not always comfortable. Sometimes there's a, a, a cold breeze that comes through. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to get into. You know, when you open up the door, I don't even know how this happens, but you open up the door and the edge of it grinds on the concrete as you're pulling it. And sometimes it's a little bit hard to get inside. This temple is still under, construct, under construction. Sometimes people build walls inside. God comes, he's like, whoa, whoa, who put that wall there? This is an open space concept here, all right? There's no division. Take that wall back down. We're not, there's no rooms in here, all right? We're all one. This temple is still under construction. God doesn't need us to be perfect to be inside. That's not what He's looking for. But what He does need is He needs us to be growing. He needs us to be committed to discipleship, to the process of becoming more and more like Him. He's saying, look, if you're willing to follow me, if you're willing to submit yourself to my Holy Spirit, then you belong here in this temple. Because look, the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our midst is to build us up. That's why I entitled this message today, Pardon the Dust. Pardon the dust. I'm going to tell you about a blasphemy that happened about three months ago on Butterfield Road. Chick-fil-A was going under a remodeling, and they decided to shut down for three months. 
Three months. Keelan and I almost starved. <laughs> we had to relearn what a grocery store was during that time. Because look, you can't do that. You can't just shut down and say, you can come back when everything is perfect and in its place. No, no, no. I want to see a sign that says, part in the dust, which means we're remodeling, but you can still come in and we can still do business here. It might be a little bit messy. Everything's not going to be in place, but we're in progress and we're moving towards it, right? That's the church. The church has to have a sign that says, look, pardon our dust. You can still come in here. We're still in the, progress, in the process of being built up. We're in the process of becoming what God has called us to be. But we're not going to say, hey, we're going to shut this thing down. Everything needs to be perfect before you can come in here. No, no, no. Pardon the dust. Come on in. But we're going to be in process here. Because this temple, this temple is in the process of being built up to become like Jesus. That is the temple that we are becoming, like Jesus. That's why we are called the body of Christ, because that is what we are growing up into. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 3.16. Dan, if you were going to speak on this, I apologize. Uh, I might step on your toes here, but Colossians 3.16, this is what Paul says. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. If we all knew everything, if we were all perfect, then there would be no need to teach and admonish one another because we'd already be there. We wouldn't need any kind of uh, help from any, anybody else. But Paul clearly says, no, no, no. We need that. We need the teaching. We need the admonishing because we need to build each other up because we're all in progress here. But one thing I want to highlight is the word that Paul uses. He says, let the message of Christ dwell. Dwell among you. What an interesting choice of words, especially given the fact that we're talking about God dwelling in a temple structure. But what makes it even more interesting is the fact that Paul uses that same word dwell in Romans 8.11 when he was referring to the power of Christ, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit that dwelled in Christ that resurrected him from the dead. He said the power of the Holy Spirit dwelled within him and resurrected him from the dead. Essentially saying the power of the Holy Spirit rebuilt what somebody else tore down. Right? When Jesus was crucified on the cross, that was the world trying to tear him down, trying to dismantle the temple of God. But the Holy Spirit came back in and said, no, 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 no. We're going to rebuild what you tried to tear down. And Paul here says the message of Christ, or as I believe, the example that Christ set, the life of Christ, he says, let that dwell among you richly. Let the power of the Holy Spirit infuse the life of Christ into you so that it's as if he's walking among you because his life is so evident in yours. You see, here's the thing. It's great to be able to share the 15-second elevator pitch that you have about the gospel. That's good. We need to have that down to share with people. But you know what's even better? It's becoming the message of Christ lived out. That's what he's looking for. He wants people to know the gospel before we ever share it because they see it. It means the message of Christ comes to life within us. That's what the Holy Spirit is building. He wants us to become more like Jesus. 
Here's another thing. We never, ever stop being the temple of the Holy Spirit. We never stop being the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he also shows a very, uh, very clear understanding of us being the temple of God. In two places, he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you, uh, know, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? And then another place, in 1 Corinthians 6.19-20, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. He says, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, Paul, all the time in his letters, we get tripped up in, in, in our English because he'll use the word you. And it's easy to interpret that as, oh, he's talking to an individual. It's like he's, he's just talking to me. But Really, most of the time, Paul is talking to an entire body of people. He's talking to an entire church. So what, whatever he's teaching them is actually meant to be applied to the entire church, not just an individual. And so sometimes we can actually mix up what Paul is saying when we, we apply this individual thinking to actually a plural message that he was giving. But here, here, Paul makes no mistake. He says, I am talking about the we plural and that I'm talking about the you on an individual level as well. Why? Because as the temple of God, you are part of the whole. You are part of the whole, which means you are a temple as an individual, and we are the temple as the body of Christ. So what does this mean for us today? It means that you never stop being the temple of God. Your role may change, your circumstance may change, but your identity never does. It's kind of like being a parent. Your kid may not be in the room. You may be off at work and the kid may be with a babysitter or at school. Just because your proximity is not close does not mean that you stop being a parent. Just because you leave these doors does not mean that you stop being the temple of God. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think one of the easiest things that we can do is when we walk in these doors on Sunday morning or when you walk in these doors for a prayer meeting or when you walk in these doors to volunteer for a core or a kick or whatever church gathering that you are coming to attend, know that you are coming to be a part of the temple. You listen, listen closely to this. I really need you guys to get this part. You play an important role in the body of Christ, encountering and knowing God. Did you know that? We are all a part of the whole. When you walk in these doors on Sunday morning, your mindset has to be that you are a player on the field and not somebody in the stands. I, I'm a big fan of the NFL and football. And the, the last NFL season, not this current one, but the last one was really hard for me, not because of my team's performance, but that was the season when they weren't allowing any fans in the stadiums. And so they did the best they could to cover it up in the broadcast and stuff. They put in fake audience cheering and stuff like that. But every now and then, the camera would pan up and you would just see empty stands. And it was, it was hard to see that because... You're so used to seeing the crowds. The crowd's such a big part of the game. But I think the church can learn something from that season. Because I think the church needs to be more like that pandemic season than the regular season with people in the stands. 
And, and this is why. When there's nobody in the stands, you'll notice that the only people that were cheering each other on were the players that were lining up next to the players on, on, on the football field. And it was the coaches on the sideline. Those were the only people that were cheering the team on. It was just cheering each other on. There was nobody in the stands to do it for them. And that's how the church needs to be. There's nobody in the stands. It's just us on the field. Whether we're, we're coaching or whether we're playing, we're cheering each other on. But there's nobody just spectating. There's nobody just spectating. We're the ones doing the work. We're the ones actually engaging in the game. But here's one thing. What they did start doing, the NBA did this, is they wanted to bring that, that feeling of the crowds back. So they, they put up all these TV screens and they would have people uh, coming through Zoom and spectate the game through, through Zoom. And that was their, their audience. And what I thought was interesting is they were able to come and spectate, but they had to do it that way because they weren't able to actually be there in person. Church, we have people spectating us. And they're spectating because they actually can't be here in person to do it with us. It's called the cloud of witnesses. They are, they're in the stands because they can't do it with us. Because if they were here, believe me, they'd be doing it with us. But they are cheering us on. As we don't sit in the stands, as we play on the field, doing the work of the ministry together. And when you walk out of these doors, you're still the temple. You're still the temple when you walk out of these doors. I told you that a temple is the connection between heaven and earth. Do you know, do you know that when you leave this place, God is saying, you are the one that I am sending out into the world so they can know me. Did you know that? That's what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a mobile connecting point between heaven and earth. Recently, I've been going, uh, I spend Tuesday mornings in Glen Ellen. And I go to a coffee shop there uh, called Blackberry Market. And within the first few weeks of me going there, I had a very interesting encounter. I was uh, waiting in line. It was very busy. And I saw this table that was open. And I had about nine people in front of me in line. And I kept thinking to myself, I would love that table. I really want to sit at that table. But I highly doubt that's still going to be available by the time I get to the front, checked out, and go get settled in. So I'm waiting in line. I keep checking. It's still open. Keep checking. I get to the front. I place my order. And sure enough, that table is still somehow open. So I go over. I put my number down. I start to set up. I get my, my laptop out. And within like one minute... This man just comes and strolls over right to my table, but there was this painting up next to me, and he was locked onto this painting. So he comes over and he's looking at it, and it, it was a little bit awkward at first because he was just kind of like standing right there at my table looking at the, the painting, but hadn't acknowledged me. So finally he looks over and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just uh, admiring this painting. I said, no problem, like, it wasn't a big deal for me. Go ahead and look at the, at the painting. Uh, but then it turned into a conversation. It wasn't about the painting anymore. It's like, oh, do you come here often? And I was like, uh, I, you know, recently I started coming here. I'm like, okay, okay. And within 30 seconds, he began to essentially prophesy over me, begin to encourage me, begin to speak life over me. He's like, what do you do for, for a living? I said, actually, I'm going to be planning a church here within the next year. He goes, you listen to the Spirit right when you, when you decided to do that. Like, 
I'm like, we don't even know each other. You don't even know my name. And he just starts encouraging me and lifting me up. And then, and I, if I can be honest, I was actually holding back tears because he was saying things that I so needed to hear that day. I so needed to hear that day. And then he went and sat down and I continued to do my work. And before he left, he made it a point. He doubled back, came back to my table and reminded me. So I just want to remind you of these things and, and just encouraged me again and then left. And I thought, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to see that guy again. But then next week, I was walking down the sidewalk just outside of Blackberry Market and ran into him again. And he stopped me. He said, hey, and he just starts a conversation. I said, actually, I, I know you. We talked last week. He goes, oh, that's right. And then just started prophesying over me all over again. Completely just started encouraging me, just started pouring into me, and started lifting me up. And I said, well, good to see you. Well, I'll, I'll see you around. And then I went to Blackberry Market the next week. Guess who was there? Guess who prophesied over me? Guess who encouraged me? It was him. And you know what else I saw him do? I saw him do the same thing with this other, this other guy that was sitting at the table on the laptop. He walked up to him and started a conversation and just began to encourage him. And just began to pour into him. And you know what? I was, when I was preparing this, I was like, you know, I can share stories of... of I, Friends that have gone out and seen people healed in Walmart checkout lines and all this stuff. And I can use that as an example of what it means to be the temple of God outside of these four walls. But I was like, I'm going to use Mike. Because Mike is just as great an example of being the temple outside of these four walls. He's walking around. He's an encouraging prophetic machine in Glen Ellen. Just going around being the temple of God. Doesn't matter who he encounters. He's just saying, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pour into you. I'm going to fill you up. I don't even know your name. But that's what it means to be the temple of God outside of these four walls. We take what happens in here and we say, I'm just going to go pour it out on whoever is around me. See, what happens is when we do that, when we do that, we give the world a glimpse. We give the world a glimpse of what is to come. When Jesus died... He started this process, and it's going to end in all things being made new again. If you're on social media, you may have recognized this, but uh, marketing companies have started a new strategy called micro-marketing. And it's this shift between what used to be we would buy the $2 million Super Bowl ad to broadcast one message, and everybody could see it at, at one time. That was like the way to do it. But now they're opting for a new way where they, are, they would rather hire 100 influencers that have 15,000 followers and give them their product so that they could show their product to the people, their, their followers. And they would rather build their influence that way now. And one of the ways they do this is by they send these influencers their product. And then the influencer will use the product on their social media platform so that the people that watch those influencers say, wow, I, I want that now. I want that product now. They put it on display and then it creates a desire for it. Church, that is exactly what God is doing with us. He says, as my temple, as my temple, I am showing you what the new creation is. And as you walk out that new creation in your lives, people will see it and say, I want that. That's different right there. That's not like the world around me. 
The way you love each other is not like what I see in my family at home. The way you forgive each other is not like I see in my workplace. What, what is this? What is this? Oh, this? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is what God is doing in the world. We, as the temple of God, we give the world a glimpse of the new creation. So we say, hey, pardon our dust. As you come in here, you're going to see there's some things that have actually already been remodeled, that have already been remade, that are part of the final design. And there's some things that are still in progress. And it's going to take some time before it's finally finished. But in here, in this body, you're going to see something you won't be able to see anywhere else. And it's a glimpse of the new creation. Church, would you stand with me? As we move to a close today, I can't emphasize this enough. That when Scripture says that we are the temple of God, it's not just a fancy metaphor. It's not just a fancy illustration to communicate something. It's a very real thing. When Peter and Paul taught on being temples, Paul even had a little bit of an attitude. He says, don't you know that you're the temple? Don't you know? Don't you know the responsibility that comes with that? Don't you know the reality of what it means to be the temple of God? And Hobson Road, I feel like we need to hear that today. The call to be the temple of God in here and out there is a very, very real, tangible thing. So as we close, let's just pray. Let's just pray right now that we would be all that God has called us to be. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we just, we just pray that right now. That we would be all that you have called us to be. Father, for those of us who may be a little bit afraid or not know where to start. For those of us who are feeling the, the tug of the Holy Spirit on our hearts right now. The tug of the Spirit that says, I, I have more for you. I have more for you. Father, I just pray now that you would show each and every one of those individuals exactly how to start. Exactly how to start. Father, I pray that, that we would see our spiritual gifts come to life in this body, Father. That we would walk in every Sunday saying, I know that I have a part to play because the Holy Spirit is with me. And Father, we pray that that we'd be a church that is just full of the life of your son, Jesus. Would you help us? Would you help us to be your temples in a fallen world? Would you help us to show a fallen world what you look like? We just ask for more of your Holy Spirit, the only one that can truly do this work in our lives and in our midst. We thank you for all these things. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, be blessed and remember that you are the temple of God everywhere that you go.